Well, it's, it's good to be here, and are you all ready for Christmas? There seemed to be an awful lot of traffic driving in early this morning. People were sort of getting out early, do a bit of late night Christmas shopping and all the rest of it. Not late night, late, early, early, early morning Christmas shopping, so people are obviously very busy with all of that. And, uh, you know, we've got our tree up and everything, and uh, uh, my, my grandkids are on the front row here, a couple of them, and they... Oh, thank you. Yeah, stand up away. Come on, do the floss or something like that, you know. And uh, got Ace, there you Come up here, mate. Quick, quick, quick. Come up here, jump up. That's it, the floss. Right, everybody stand up. We're all going to do the floss. Right, ready, right. <laughs> That's it, or something like that. I don't know, I can never do this thing. I just rick my knee, you know. Okay, great. What am I doing up here? Why am I here? All right, yes, okay. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just fun. And I, I, I've always loved the Christmas season, even before I became a Christian. My family um, didn't really, the, tr- the tradition was that we didn't go big on birthdays. You know, I'd look at some of the kids at school and they'd get loads of presents and mine was pretty downplayed. But we went mental with Christmas and it was just a lovely thing. So I've always loved Christmas. And uh, as I was thinking about, I knew I was going to be preaching on this particular Sunday, and, uh, and I, was, I was thinking about it back in September, and I had a, a ridiculous and annoying advert kept going around my mind. Some of you will remember it. And all I can remember is it was for Woolworths, and it would go, It's the wonder of Woolies. Good old Woolies. Right, ready, everybody? It's the wonder of Woolies. It's the wonder of good old Woolies. Who remembers that? <laughs> Two of us. Yeah, okay, right. And I, it was just annoying. It was annoying at the time, and I certainly didn't want it in my mind now, you know. But funnily enough, I thought, of, I was thinking about that, and I thought, do you know, if I was going to ask Father God for a gift for this Christmas, it would be this, that I would... I would rediscover, or maybe I've never even had it, maybe I need to discover something of the absolute awe and wonder of this season. The awe and wonder of God becoming man. Because as Christians, that's what we believe. God came to earth and became man. And this season, you know, God moved into the neighborhood uh, you know, which I've so appreciated. We've been exploring that, that God should move into the neighborhood. And, and I just love that idea and that thought. But let's start. So what I want to do, try and do today is take on a bit of a journey in the next 25, 30 minutes. I want to consider the heavens. And I want to think about inner space. And I want to just try and begin to broaden my understanding of, of, of who God is, that I might better appreciate just the sheer wonder of him emptying himself and becoming a baby. Let's just start with a little movie clip I found. Some lovely lines there, you know. uh, The way Graham Kendrick also, he talked about God flinging the stars into the skies, beautiful poetic language. And, you know, he talks there about holding these mysteries in in his hands until until all our questioning for silent, you know. Sometimes, and we do have it in, in our being, we do have the capacity to live and work and walk by faith, 
you know, questions are good. They're not, it's not sinful to have questions. It really isn't. Some people seem to, in some churches, seem, seem to give you a guilt trip if you've got questions. But that's, that's not a problem. But there are times when, quite frankly, you just are lost in awe and wonder. A couple of weeks ago, uh, I don't know whether you heard it on the news, but there was apparently uh, a great meteor shower. There were two days, a Thursday and a Friday, I think it was two weeks ago, when there was going to be this amazing meteor shower. And uh, it happened where we were, out in Edelsborough, out on Ellsbury Vale. Uh, it was a beautiful, clear night, and I actually remembered for once, usually I forget about these things, but I went outside because I thought, I'm just going to you know, put my coat on and just stand outside and, and just sort of see if I can see uh, some of these uh, shooting stars, these meteors. And, uh, you know, as a, as a child, I seemed to see a lot of them, but I haven't seen one for a long time, so I was, went out there and sort of, you know, wandering around and, you know, just sort of enjoying the night, and then I heard an owl, and then there was another owl, and, uh, you know, just two owls calling to one another, so I thought, I'll join in, why not, you know? And uh, so the owls are doing their twitter-woos, or whatever they are, and so I start going, twitter-woo, like that, it looks serene. It looks like you want to have a try of that. Right, everybody together. One, two, three. To wit, to woo. You know. Okay. So uh, that's it. Anyway, I'm going to wit to woo, and the woo, the, the woos are going owl or whatever they do. The owls are going woo, and then somebody else joins in, and I think it was one of my neighbours. You know. <laughs> He thought there's a very probably thought there's a very funny owl out there. So we're all out there, sort of to wit to wooing and what have you. And uh, anyway, finally it quiets down. And I must have been out there about 15 minutes. And I looked up at the stars. It was a beautiful, clear night. And uh, we don't get much light pollution where we live. So it was, it was just like the sky of my, my childhood. And as happened as a child, and some of you will remember this, you start by looking at the stars and you can see a few. But the longer you look, as your eyes become accustomed to it, suddenly the Milky Way starts to appear and other little stars that you'd not noticed before, and it was just the most gorgeous starlit night. I didn't see a single uh, meteor, so whatever, but, but the, the experience of just standing out there, just uh, seeing, as it were, quite literally, actually, the sky of my childhood you know, unfold and develop, it just filled me with a sense of awe and wonder. And I found myself you know, uh, thinking of the psalmist in Psalm 8. Let me just read you that. It might, might come up on the screen too. But uh, Psalm 8, it's, it's the, sa- the very self-same sentiment that I was experiencing. Uh, and the psalmist says this, Psalm 8, verses uh, 1 to 8, I think it is. He says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name over all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants even, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. And when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Who are we? that we should even draw a moment's attention of the Creator God. And I found myself thinking over the following days about that, and I, I just did a little bit of research just to sort of, more, more than anything, to get my, my help to, to, to tease this out, to tease every drop of wonder out of what I was seeing. Let's just go back to that picture of the galaxy, please, uh, Matt. It's, that's from the Hubble telescope, you know, 
which has been up there now about 20 years. You know, it's been a long time. Time's flown by. And the colors and everything that come out. And this is just a portion of our own galaxy. But let me just give you some stats. You'll have heard all these kind of things before. But, but the Earth, just to put it in context, is 12,742 kilometers in diameter. In diameter, sorry. The Earth is 384,000 kilometers from the Moon. And the furthest planet in our solar system, our neighborhood if you like, is Neptune. And that's 4,498 billion kilometers from the Sun. You know, I, I can just about sort of get my head around these figures. The Milky Way, which is, you know, on a beautiful starlit night, if you look up and there's this kind of, there's this kind of fuzzy haze, that's not mist. Those are, those are galaxies, what you're seeing. And there's so many of them packed into our galaxy that it looks like dust, stardust. But it says here, a little fact, our Milky Way is 950 plus 15 zero kilometers wide. And now you've, you've, you've lost me. But just think of all those, d d oh, 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 oh. And that's just our galaxy. It takes 100,000 years of light to travel from the edge of our galaxy to the Earth. So the, the light, some of the light that you're barely glimpsing has been traveling at the speed of light for 100,000 years before it touches the retina of your eye. Astronomers predict that there are two trillion galaxies, Milky Ways, in the universe. That is staggering. We could go on, but it's ceasing to move, mean anything. I just know it's big. But then there's inner space. You know, when I was at school in our science lab, we had models of molecules and stuff like that. We talked about them. But of course, that's not the smallest thing known to mankind. There's the atoms. And then, as you drill down, as you go deeper on that inner journey, there are things like quarks and other weird-sounding things. But the smallest thing that humankind has perceived as of this moment, is something called the Higgs boson, or the God particle. It's commonly called the God particle. I have to say, if you're a physicist, you probably don't like that. But it's just picked up that name. And it's one of those things that we know, through the gift of physics, it exists. But we've not actually been able to see it or capture it. And that great big accelerator thing in, uh, in, in Switzerland, is it? In Switzerland? That's where they're trying to sort of find out what that thing is. It's infinitesimally small. So within, there's the infinitesimally small. And without, there's the unimaginable vastness of space. And what the scripture says in that John chapter 1 passage, which I read out at the end of the worship, it says that the word, Jesus, the word is, in that version, is, is Greek, it's logos, and it was 
It was a, the way that John was trying to communicate with the Gentile world by using Greek thought. He says, the Logos, Christ, called all things into being, spoke things into life. It wasn't so much that he had a basin full of stars, although that's lovely poetic language, but actually God spoke them into being. And everything is sustained by his will and his breath. If that's being the case, you know, what went on into the Garden of Eden, what went on at the dawn of time, when God has fr gave us free will, but did not make puppets or marionettes or whatever you care to call them, when God decided to give us free will and we used that against him, if I was a creator with the best in the world, best will in the world, I would have simply started again. You know, I'm, I'm a fairly patient sort of a guy, and I do a lot of DIY, and I do a lot of, you know, sort of hobby stuff, and I fix cars and this kind of thing. But there is a time where you just think, this is not going well. I've made a right pig's ear of this. Chuck that out, I'm going to start again. It's just pragmatic. It's going to take more time to fix than it is to actually, you know, uh, make a new one. But our creator God did not do that. You know, the creation story tells us that everything he made, he loved and it was good. Everything he made, he, put him, he invested himself in it. He gave it his breath. He loves it and he has not given up on it. And boy, is that good news to us. It truly is. It truly is. I remember that... Uh, you know, when Wendy Hausen began this series, you know, she, uh, she did this wonderful job of, 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 of introducing this, this little series we've called God Moved Into the Neighborhood. And she, she just said something, it was like a throwaway line which stuck with me, and she said that, you know, God had not spoken for 400 years, and the, the period of time she was referring to was at the, basically the end of the Old Testament, the beginning of the New that sort of inter-testamental period. And she said, you know, God had not spoken. I went away thinking about that. I thought, is that true? And what she was really meaning was that actually God had not spoken to the Jewish nation because God had actually spoken a lot prior to that through the prophets. But I thought, gosh, that's great. And then she went on to say, but God broke the silence with the cry of a baby. Wow didn't see that one coming. God broke the silence with the cry of a baby. Extraordinary. You know, if I had, if, if I was God, and thank God I'm not God, but if I was God, I'd give every man in this, this church an Aston Martin for Christmas. No, uh, sorry. Um, maybe you want to, uh, if I was God, if I was God, I would want to announce with some, you know, some fanfare that I was coming. And maybe God did. We'll look at that in just a moment. But the extraordinary thing is that the way God goes about rescuing us is not with a sort of great big battleship, all guns blazing, but he comes as a baby, a baby. A helpless baby. 
And the first people to, to see him and to worship him are shepherds. He doesn't sort of call a meeting of the UN and say, look, now hear this. Everybody, all the leaders of the world, get together. I've got some news for you. You thought this was happening. Actually, this has been happening. Let me introduce to you my son. He's the ruler of the universe. So get with the plan. When Jesus emptied himself of, his, of all that was his by right in heaven and became that baby, he did it the whole nine yards. He was born of a woman. He was nursed at Mary's breast. He grew up with all the sort of challenges of that. Played with the kids in the neighborhood. Got the grazed knee. Got the t-shirt, etc. Wonderful. A wonderful thought. God truly moves into the neighborhood. Let's read, though, Luke chapter 2. I'm sorry on the AV. I know I'm skipping around a little bit. But let's read Luke chapter 2. And this is the story, as is read in so many churches throughout the land and throughout the world, and indeed school nativities, some still have them, etc., etc. Let's read the story. And there is a bit of a fanfare when the baby is born. So Luke chapter 2, it says here, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone had to go to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. That was his hometown. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. I wonder if they were doing what I was doing a couple of weeks ago. I wonder if they were sort of sitting around a campfire, eating a simple meal, staring up at the heavens, wondering at the stars, just wondering at the stillness and the beauty of it all. When all of a sudden, as they kept watch over their flocks at night, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. What that must have been like, I do not know. It says they were terrified. The God of all creation sends his angels and the glory of the Lord is revealed to them. My goodness. The angel said though, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. For all the people, not just the Jewish nation, but all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born you. Not a master, not a tyrant, not a king that's going to put more taxes on you. A savior has been born. He is the Messiah. The Messiah was the one that, that in, I won't say legend, but historically they believed that there was going to be a Messiah, an anointed one who was going to come to rescue them. The angel said, he is the Messiah. Let you be in no doubt. He is the Lord. 
the Lord was a particular title which was shared with God, the Old Testament God, Yahweh, Lord. And this will be the sign to you, just so that you know that what I'm saying is true, says the angel. You will find him, not in a great palace, not on the top of a mountain bathed in light, not in some fantastic sort of sports arena holding 100,000, none of that. You will find him wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company, here comes the fanfare, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and favor to those upon upon whom his favor rests. Big fanfare. And all over a baby born in this stable, born in this stable. So, extraordinary. God breaks the silence of space. They say, you know, in the, it, there's a horror movie, isn't it? Say, so in, in space, you can't hear you scream or something like that. God breaks the silence of space. He breaks the silence of the ages where the Gentiles, the non-Jews, had had no, no word from God. He breaks the silence of a Bethlehem night with a baby's cry. One extraordinary thing, that God should come and be among us. It does beg a question though, doesn't it? It does beg a question. And that question is quite simply, why would he do such a thing? Why would he do such a thing? I think I told you a couple of years ago, and you guys did this, you didn't know you did it, but a couple of years ago we were in Aldi's and uh, we were getting our Christmas shopping and, uh, you know, a big pile of stuff. And I noticed, I could hear a conversation going on with a couple behind me. And they had a little family, and they had a, a trolley, you know, piled with stuff. And uh, I could hear the conversation, and the wife was saying, okay, so that was a bit more expensive, but that was a bit cheaper. Um, and if we do that, then we can do this. And... Um, how much money have you got again? And he said some figure, you know. And she just, they had this conversation working out whether they could afford this Christmas, these Christmas groceries. And that, some of you remember the thing. We've done this a couple of times, but, but I paid for our groceries and they went through and then I just hung around and uh, they started going through beep, beep, beep and the, the woman's kind of anxiously watching the thing um, ringing up. And at the end of it, the fella pulls out a wadge of cash, you know, and he's going to pay. And at that point, I stepped in and I said, we would like to pay for, you, for your groceries. And I had, I had the church credit card on me. Comes in very handy sometimes. And, um, and, I, and they, the woman said, no, she was completely sort of blown away. And suddenly, all the, the, the kind of line is saying, is he going to pay for our groceries as well? And... and um, I said, to, I said very firmly to the, uh, you know, the, the dear woman on the, on the chair, I said, I'll pay for this. And there's a lot of confusion. And the bloke said, the bloke was kind of, didn't know, it was re- a real shock to him. Eventually he said, why? Why would you do that for us? 
And I said, well, I'm a pastor of a church, the Vineyard in St. Albans, and we would love to do this for you this Christmas. And he said, well, fair enough. You know, he came to his senses. You know, so we did it. But when someone shows you extraordinary kindness in a moment, which that's what you did, it's not unnatural to say why. So why would God, when we have all sinned, it says in the scriptures, we've all sinned, we've all strayed, we're like sheep, you know, going about our own thing and not doing a good job of it. Why would God bother with us when we have behaved so badly? And of course the answer, the answer is it's all for love. All for love. Love makes you do extraordinary things. Love makes you do absolutely crazy things. I uh, have told you before, and I'll tell you again, uh, Flissy and my relationship got off to a rather tricky start. We were at uh, drama college together, part of a group of people, of course, and uh, I woke up one morning, and uh, uh, God had spoken to me. I wasn't even following Jesus then, but I knew God had spoken to me, and I knew that... I loved Fliss. I woke up. Lo- I went to bed not loving her, and I woke up loving her, and I was going to marry her, which was tremendous. I was absolutely thrilled to bits. I thought, that's absolutely amazing. I love Fliss, and I'm going to marry her. So um, went to college, very excited. Uh, I even wondered, thought, I wonder if she's had a dream, you know? <laughs> you know that handsome, debonair young fellow called Chris Lane? Anyway, uh, she didn't come running up to me and fling her arms around me, so I thought, probably not. So, uh, but anyway, after the first session, which was, I think, a warm-up movement class, drama college and all that, I said, Fliss, can I just have a quick word in the, in the well, let's go somewhere, let's get to the student common room or something like that. That's what it was, wasn't it? And uh, so I took Fliss up there. There's a few people in there, a bit rowdy, but I said to Fliss, I've got some absolutely wonderful news. Uh, little eyes glistened away, you know. And uh, she said, what? We were, we were friends. We used to hang out. We were part of a group, you know. It wasn't like she was a complete stranger, of course. you know. But we weren't going out or anything like that. So I, I just said to Phyllis, I said, I got this wonderful news. She said, well, what is it then? And I said, well, I had a dream last night. Said, yes. And I said, and you were in it? She said, yes. And uh, I said, I've woken up and I know I love you and we're gonna, I'm going to marry you. I know you won't believe this. It was only at that moment that I thought, this is my, this is going to sound a bit weird. <laughs> and her face said it all. And the fact that the common room, which was a rowdy bunch of students, went completely silent at the same time, told me that I was in deep, deep trouble. What made me do that? Well, f- probably foolishness or something. But actually, love, love, makes us all do something crazy. I mean, how many of you, let me just say, I'll, I'll answer a rhetor- ask a rhetorical question. How many of you, for the love of your children, have made just extra- outrageous sacrifices, things that you never thought yourself capable of doing? You know, any young mum will tell you that 
she may have grown up loving her sleep, but for the love of this little one, she'll get up on the hour every hour for week after week after week to feed and change nappies and all the rest of it. And I pray for those of you who are going through that at the moment, and I've spoken to one or two who are, I pray that, you know, please God, may you have a, a peaceful Christmas and maybe the baby sleep for four, four hours, you know, but, <laughs> you know. And, but it's just one of those things, isn't it? You'll say, oh, well, it's just, you know, it's just that maternal instinct. Well, let's dumb it down, shall we? Yeah, it's just the genes. No. You lie in bed, you hear your baby crying, and you don't just get up, you, it's a conscious decision. Sometimes you may say, oh, well, wait a minute, she might go to sleep, but they never do, do they? You get up. Love makes you do extraordinary things. And if we, God's creation, God's creative beings, can show love. I mean, it actually talks about, in Scripture, people who lay down their lives for people. People who throw themselves in front of a, a car and toss a child out the way. Strangers who jump down onto railway tracks to, to drag somebody who's thrown themselves down on the tracks to commit suicide. You know, look on YouTube, time and time again, strangers are jumping down onto tracks in order to heave people out. We are capable of doing the most extraordinary things. There is something, a God particle in us, that makes us do these extraordinary things. And it's an echo of the love of God in us. And deep calls to deep. And God comes to find what he made us to be. So he doesn't just look at broken Chris, busted up sinner Chris Lane. He sees in us the son whom he lost. He sees in you the child who he was estranged from. And instead of being like me and just tossing it out and starting again a bit of DIY that went weird on me, he breaks himself in order to mend us. That's the why of it. Love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever might believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's an extraordinary thing. All for love. Emmanuel. God mounts this extraordinary rescue mission. He becomes man because only man... Only man can pay for his own sin. Only mankind, humankind, men and women. It's not fair that I should sin and others should have to pay for it. It just isn't just. But God, he becomes man. And then he, even though it's unjust, he steps in to take my sin upon himself at Easter, at Calvary, on the cross. He says, I'll take this one. What a God, what a saviour. That's the why of it. Why should the master of the universe, of all that is seen and unseen, do this? It's all for love. God with us. God moves into the neighbourhood. And I just want to say, and I want to pray for you, that this Christmas, and I've been, I, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time now, I want to, I want to say to you, 
I pray for you that you might discover or have a fresh revelation of the wonder of Christmas, of just how high a value God puts on you, and to the extraordinary, unimaginable lengths that he went, the creator of the universe, in order to rescue you. And as you hold in juxtaposition the wonder of who he is and our desperate plight, and as you see how God came together in order to rescue us, he got into the water with us, the shark-infested water. He didn't just shout advice down a tannoy on the beach. He came to save us. He rolled up his sleeves and got involved. And that's just an extraordinary thing. So my prayer for you is that God will give you the gift of wonder, a fresh wonder at the magnificence of our God, our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Why don't we all stand? Sam, would you like to just... Bring the team up. Thank you. Isn't it a funny thing how we do it in spite of ourselves? You know, Christmas, if you go into St. Albans or to any little town or village, even our little village, there are colored lights and twinkly trees and it's all about light and like in the dead of winter, in the darkest part of the winter. It's all about kind of bringing sort of life and light into that, that inky blackness. And all we're trying to do is something deep within us that kind of resonates. We perceive in spite of ourselves that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And the message of Christmas is the light has come. And if you will just open the door and welcome in him, your life will be filled with light. Father, we just want to say thank you for the message of Christmas. We thank you for your extraordinary humility, Jesus, that you should leave your heavenly throne and go to such extraordinary lengths to be born as a man, that a man might bear the sins that we all share, a perfect man. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you rose from the dead to bring to us all the joy of Christmas and an eternity spent in light and enveloped in love. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you.